giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Jasper William Cartwright, game master for hire, actor, creative consultant, podcaster, co-host of the Performance Capture podcast, and co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, Three Black Halflings. Jasper, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, no, thank you so much for having me. And man, with that intro, I almost feel, I almost feel, I was like, oh, I feel cool. Like that was, that was, some, that was some fun things. I almost started with like a, hello, robots, but doesn't really have the alliteration that hello, halflings does. Sure, so. sure. I, I don't even know how the hello, halflings started. Like I'm going to have to go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes again, mm-hmm. because I genuinely have no idea how it happened. And now it's got to a point where it's like, unyieldy every episode i feel like i have to get that little bit further and a little bit higher and i'm like this can't be good for people's ears (laughs) yeah well so i know what the show is but sort of in your own words what is the three black halflings podcast uh, the Three Black Halflings podcast is a show which is committed to talking about diversity uh, and inclusion within fantasy and sci-fi and sort of anything that nerdy culture touches. We try to cover it from the perspective of three people of color, what it's like to be in the space and why representation is super important. Yeah. I want to talk about the like origin of the show and, and how you got started, but mm. I was introducing someone to the show previously because I try to tell everybody I can about the, Thank you about the show. <laughs> I've noticed, you know, in the beginning when you started, there was a lot of sort of low hanging fruit, like we can dive into this stuff and educate people. And over time, you've introduced actual play where you're playing Dungeons and Dragons on the show. And I think it's changed a little bit. And it's still great. But I always also recommend people go back to the beginning. And I think a lot of the episodes are sort of timeless. They're not about the news of the day. They're diving into particular topics yeah. and discussing either the impact or the problems that they have or you know how to play them better. Yeah, definitely. I think you're absolutely right. It's been a weird thing where because we've become more popular and we're kind of more in tune with the TTRPG space, I think that typically what has happened for us is that we've spent less time really digging around for like, you know, what's some stuff, older things that we can explore. And we kind of were a lot more kind of like, what's the beat of the moment, uh, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And I think that's why we haven't done as many episodes like that. And also just because we... Yeah, I just think that the audience is changing and the way that people kind of consume our content is changing. It tends to go in cycles for us where we'll do a batch of really topical episodes, then we'll do more really nitty gritty kind of game design episodes. And so I think a lot of it does depend on the sort of moment, what's going on. There's still a bunch of episodes we have planned. And obviously we have the Halfling University series, which is coming out currently, which is a more of a retrospective look on back on like poignant things throughout the history of nerddom and nerd culture. So I like to think there's a there's a good variety on there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the show, especially I think when it started, had a very heavy focus on Dungeons and Dragons, which I love. People who know me know that I love <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons and I've been playing it for a long time. And as someone playing it since I was a teenager, mm. I didn't realize until I got older and learned a lot more. And certainly the show went a long way to sort of educating me about how not only the origins of some of the tropes of fantasy and Mm. and Dungeons and Dragons, but just in general, how to have inclusive 
play. When you're playing with a group of people, or and to bring it back to non-Dungeons and Dragons specific thing, this is true, I think, in any group of people. When you're surrounded by a group of people who look the same as you, are from the same area, have the same experiences, you don't realize what's missing from yeah. that table. And that's true in our companies, and it's true around a TTRG RPG table. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think that, you know, that's the same for a lot of us. You know, I remember doing a big post after I've been doing the show for about six months and was just like, I was very open when when I started the show that a lot of what I wanted to talk about was like, I wanted it to be a safe space for me to explore some of these things. Because I grew up in a very white kind of middle class area. And therefore, I had a lot of the blind spots that I was seeing my friends of color call out my white friends for or or whatever it may be and so i was like okay it's time for me to educate myself and i wanted to do it in a safe space in a place where i could learn from great people so we we had uh obviously we had other co-hosts of the show who fantastic people but we had you know things like sensitivity consultants and and people like that come on i always like to shout out james menes hodes who if you ever want to do a bit of a deep dive into like fantasy and you said chad like the historical basis for some of the stuff that we use he writes some really incredible stuff And so a lot of it was about me trying to educate myself as well and kind of put in that work. I thought there was a value there in doing it in an open forum, in sort of saying like, hey, I'm a person of color and I'm also trying to figure this out. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the time, the barrier for anyone who doesn't belong to a minority group is like, oh man, like I don't want to burden someone else with my own understanding of this thing. And I don't want to ask the wrong questions or maybe even, I don't even know where to begin in educating myself. And so there was something about kind of the three of us and me particularly kind of being very open about the fact that we were learning about this too, and that there might be things that mistakes or things we might, might be slightly out of place, but that we have that openness and willingness to learn. And I think that in today's internet culture where everyone is so kind of reaction based it just felt important to me that we had like a space where we could sit in and talk about stuff and really be open with each other in a way that we knew we'd all be able to like shake hands and be like cool that was a like you know good session or whatever it was yeah. today and not be like oh, i hate you <laughs> you, know what I mean? or, you know what i mean because someone had made a mistake or misspoke or something like that and And I think you're absolutely right. It's something I've started to do a bit more of recently, which is doing kind of diversity and inclusion talks and coaching for for companies, because I think a lot of the lessons that I've learned through doing this show, especially around things like language and how you like set up a work environment to suit people of color and sort of more generally minorities, it's a slightly kind of continuous pursuit in the sense that you always have to be kind of open and learning. And I think also it provides a, what I think is best about it is that it provides such richness to your work environment we always say on through black halflings that like we want you to take these things and to use them to enhance your game uh like you were saying if you have the same people uh with the same experiences all the time and that's all you ever hear then of course you're going to get a pretty kind of one-sided experience and then if you expand that out to include people from halfway across the world who have a very different experience they're going to see things differently and I can almost guarantee there'll be like a problem that you and your team have been stuck on for like months, you know, and someone from a different perspective will come in and be like, boom, there's the problem. Or that's how we get around it because they have a different frame of reference to you. And so I always try to, it sounds really awful to say sell it because <laughs> I, you know, I'm not, not trying to sell diversity and inclusion, but I always want to try and go further by saying it's not just about 
getting different faces in the door. It's about enriching the work that you do and allowing your team to do the best work that they can. Just the quantitative difference between the kinds of things like games that I used to run, you know, if to link it back to Dungeons and Dragons versus the games that I run now, just having had this wealth of influence from other people and different experiences is, is, is incredible. And I think it holds true for every element of my work. So I work as a producer a lot and sort of lots of creative fields as opposed to just podcasting. And it's improved tenfold just by having a diverse group of people that I draw from their experiences in my pursuits. I think it makes a big difference. I think it's... <laughs> The idea that you wanted a safe space and so you created a public podcast on the <laughs> internet is Yeah, I can see. I can see how that sounds now. <laughs> I assume that you've had to navigate being in public spaces, talking about diversity, inclusion. I'm sure that that has been difficult at times. Yeah, for sure. I think just to clarify that as well, because mm-hmm. I definitely aware of how it sounds. I've always been a very like, I don't care attitude, you know what I mean? Yeah. In the sense that like, I felt like I needed what I was going to make, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. what I guess I meant by safe space is like, I wanted people to have the safe space of listening to it. I was getting the safe space I, as far as I was concerned, because podcasts aren't a reactionary medium, which is lovely. And yeah. so like, thank God your audience isn't sat here just saying everything that you said wrong and correcting you. You know, people are probably shouting at me for stuff that I've said already on this episode. So it's definitely a fine line. Like you said, to put something out on the internet, it's a very, very public thing to do. But it, it definitely just felt like for me, creating somewhere where people could just kind of disappear a little bit and yeah. encounter these things in a way where they're not going to be called out or they're not going to be kind of threatened. There's no risk of cancellation or whatever if mm-hmm. you say the wrong thing or or whatever it is. Felt important. And yeah, we've had to deal with, I will say this, it's kind of tricky to sum up the things that we've dealt with because I think a lot of stuff is still so systemic yeah. in the sense that like, just even down to the opportunities that you get and things like that, where you kind of go like, ha, huh, that's they started in this space like two months ago and they have like twice the followers we do and yeah. they're getting loads of money for doing these streams and you're kind of going like, hold on, what, what, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, there's three people on this show. They have 10 times the Patreons that we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why might that be? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly that. And I, that's one side of it. And then to be honest, the, the most it's happened, and this is quite a recent thing, which I don't even think we've really spoke about on the show, was the reaction to the... We, so for anyone who doesn't know Dungeons & Dragons, there was a recent controversy where Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast threatened to kind of repeal part of the license, which allowed creators to... Free freely kind of use elements, not all of them, but like some elements of Mm -hmm. the Dungeons and Dragons game and the Dungeons and Dragons IP for like content, basically. And they wanted to repeal it and they wanted to start bringing in more like checks and balances in terms of what you could and couldn't do. And they wanted to start taking cuts of profits and all this kind of thing. And anyway, the reaction was, as you could probably imagine, not great as content creators are ostensibly the lifeblood of this game, especially kind of in terms of its online presence. So we ended up getting the opportunity to interview one of the executive producers at Wizards of the Coast and we put it on our YouTube and it's hilariously one of the most viewed pieces of content that Through Like Halflings has, full stop. And the reaction is so strange because you have people that get super angry at this guy for being corporate and this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, that's fine. So that was like the first wave of reaction. Then it was like, he's a racist against white people. And we were like, whoa, okay. And then it turned into, 
you're racist because you didn't call him out for being racist against white people. And then eventually, I think it just found its way to the trolls who mm. are now just being openly racist about it. So it's a, a very strange dynamic of like seeing that play out in terms of it literally was like depending on the amount of people that listened to it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it was like it it didn't hit troll numbers yet. Like it needed <laughs> to like be more popular to hit troll numbers. So part of me does wonder if we just haven't quite got to peak troll numbers with the main <laughs> podcast yet. And I'm sort of readying myself with a spear and a shield. So I'm like, okay. It's, it's like a double-edged sword. You want to be yeah. more popular, but at the same time, hmm. Yeah. Part of what I'm getting at is I think the work you do, even if you take sort of systemic racism out of it, the reaction to diversity and inclusion topics out of it, like it's not easy to be an independent content creator then you add that onto it so like how do you keep going you've been doing it for three years now what's your day-to-day -day like how do you say keep going at it i mean the rewards are just huge right uh i got to go to the Dungeons and dragons premiere the other day you know mm -hmm. i went to a party in the tower of london and had people coming up to me everyone knew who i, who I was at the tower of london you know at a party at the tower of london like and when i say tower of london i want to clarify that it wasn't like a function room attached to the Tower of London. We were in the Tower of London. I was having champagne, sipping it next to Henry VIII's armor. <laughs> Amazing. It was absolutely wild. And being there and people coming up to me and being like, we, we love what Three Black Halflings does. You know, we think it's a really important voice in the community. And, you know, you guys absolutely like, you know, because I was sort of like, oh, God, I, don't, I can't believe we're here or whatever. And people were like, no, no, you absolutely deserve to be here. It's so important that you guys are here. So I think that has a huge impact. People in the community, the way that we've been embraced, there's so many shows and so many people who are creating content that are working so hard who don't have nearly the platform that we have. And I think that is a, a, a testament to us and the hard work that we put in, but it's also a testament to just like how important what we're doing within the community is. And I still don't really think there is a facsimile for Three Black Halflings in the industry in the sense that like we're a talk show, we talk about heavy topics a lot of the time, but we do it with a smile on our face and we try to laugh as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because the whole premise of this show was that black joy can be a form of protest and we want it to be like, hey, we can talk about serious stuff without having to like cry and feel crushingly horrible about it, you yeah. know? And I think, I guess that's how I feel whenever I feel like I want to cry or feel crushingly horrible about my workload or how hard it is to make this show is that I go, this is kind of the point. You know what I mean? This is mm -hmm. why we got into it because I think that this is going to make it easier for someone else to do the same thing or someone else to do something even better. And that for me is incredibly rewarding. But I will caveat all of that by saying we've started to like generate some money through like ad revenue and Patreon and everything like that. And it's actually this show has given me the opportunity to leave my full time day job, which was still kind of creative. Uh, I was working in animation before this and I loved that job. But now I get to be my own boss. And it's been a really steep learning curve, learning how to do work life balance when you're your own boss, because mm -hmm. you're like, I could really disrespect my time here. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I can I can get a lot done today, and I go, no, I have to spend time with my fiance. I have to eat food. I have to sleep. I have to drink water. I think a lot of the process has been about that, and I think especially recently, I've gotten a much better at kind of giving myself that work life balance, and that makes it a lot easier for me to carry on because I feel like we've gotten to a point where I can be honest with the community as well and say, hey, like we're going to have a late episode this week because there's, there's some kinks with the edit or something. Mm -hmm. And people are just like, yeah, it's fine. So I was actually having a 
consultancy session for someone yesterday. And one of the big things I kept saying to them was, as a content creator, you have to realize the world's not going to crash and burn if, if you don't hold the standards that you've set for yourself. Because the chances are your audience has a much, much lower expectations. And that's not because they don't think you can do it. It's just because they understand that you're human and they want you to do well. You know what I mean? So if ever I feel like, oh no, Three Black Halflings is really messed up. I'm like, this episode sounds terrible and we put it out and uh, and I, I'm there twisting myself into knots and making myself feel horrible. And then I go onto the Discord and everyone's like, oh, that sounded a bit janky. Oh, well, I'm sure they'll sort it out. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's absolutely fine. So taking pressure off of yourself, I think something that I think is really important uh, if you're trying to pursue especially if you're trying to start out in, and in pursuit of something like this because yeah it's super easy to drown yourself <laughs> in all yeah. of the kind of like stress and anxiety about putting you know content out you mentioned ads you mentioned patreon mm. i think it was was it last year or the that you joined a podcast network oh it would have been no it'd been the year before i think so a year. with uh mm-hmm. headgum for nearly two years now wow yeah what sort of prompted that and what does being part of a network give you as a podcast? Hell yeah. Joining a network ostensibly is just like joining a kind of family of other shows. I guess it's like the closest equivalent really is sort of having your show picked up by like a, a like Netflix or a, a broadcaster or something like that. It's sort of like you're bringing your show to that family and then the most common thing, and because every network is ever so slightly different and will have different kind of support structures that they offer certain shows, depending on you know the money they generate, all that kind of thing. But the most common one is effectively you are now in a group that can all support each other and can all mm-hmm. benefit uh, each other by running, doing ad swaps, because ad swaps typically is the absolute best way to improve podcast performance, mostly just because the user journey is like, super simple it's like hey do you like the sound of this podcast well the link to it is in your description you have to click twice you have to go into the description click on that link and then hit subscribe and you're done that's all you have to do and it'll be there and you know it'll automatically tee up in your feed and all that kind of stuff so uh things like pod swaps and everything like that are by far the most effective for spreading the word about your show and and it also just helps you really hit like specific target audiences where you go we have great metrics that we can see of like you know the average age of our listener uh, how they identify gender wise like music they listen to Mm -hmm. (laughs) typically like what the average uh three black halflings listen to i think when you roll all of that information together as a part of a network you have a huge bank of data which they can then use to kind of market you in the best way and 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 push you out in the best way and then on top of that most networks will have a some sort of ad revenue like sort of system or um tech i guess uh, is probably the best way of putting it and certainly for some networks they almost run like tech companies what i imagine uh, how i imagine tech companies to run you're probably about to tell me a lot <laughs> a lot better <laughs> don't worry about uh, it <laughs> but uh, like but for instance so headgum has gumball so gumball is their ad sales sort of site which has uh, software which allows you to basically everyone can go in you can book ads just by looking at the podcast seeing how many downloads it has again it has a breakdown of demographics and things like that that you can look at to see if that will marry up with your uh, whatever product that you're pushing out and then that will automatically set up a prompt for me to then read the script upload it and then that will put a dynamic ad in the middle of the you know uh, of an episode mm-hmm. or however many episodes until a certain amount of impressions are delivered. So again, that'll be very unique and different depending on which network you join. But like ostensibly, 
I'd say those are the two main things is pooling of resources amongst a family of different podcasts and then some sort of promise of, of sort of like ad revenue or ad sales. Most of them will also have like an ad sales team where they'll go and hunt out more specific spots for your show. So for instance, we just got sponsored by, I think it was Penguin or it might be Random House actually maybe it's Random House, who are publishing three little additional books to go in and around the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just did like a little ad for them. And, and that was, again, the sales team kind of going out and being like, oh, we can see that you're looking for advertising places. Why don't you come and advertise on this Dungeons and Dragons podcast? <laughs> so yeah, stuff like that, I think. Those were, I'd say, the, the main areas. And then it'll kind of d- depend uh, some podcast networks will help with editing but they'll have almost like a house style so they'll sort mm-hmm. of they'll say oh we'll we'll do the editing for you because we want to marry up all the shows so they have a similar sound is is headgum doing some editing for you and not on other episodes or uh you no know, uh, headgum uh, pretty much does it's one of the best things about it is we have an incredible sound designer uh shout out to daniel uh he's actually one of the sound designers of god of war uh, if you can believe that, that's just won several uh, awards for sound design. He basically has almost like a little side hustle, which is him and a group of his friends who do podcasting editing oh, okay. for HeadGum. He does our main shows and our actual play shows. They were like, oh yeah, they can help you out with your actual play shows. And then me as the incredibly stressed out producer that was also having to listen to like multiple hours of my own voice a week went what about the main show as well? And they were like, yeah, fine. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Because <laughs> I just God, I can't bear listening to myself. I don't mind editing I'm, and I'm not bad at it, but listening to my own voice is, uh, is not on my list of to-dos. <laughs> it sounds like overall that being part of a network has been positive for you. Yeah, hugely. That's awesome. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Are your engineers spending too much time on DevOps and maintenance issues when you need them on new features? We know maintaining your own servers can be costly and that it's easy for spending creep to sneak in when your team isn't looking. By delegating server management, maintenance, and security to ThoughtBot and our network of service partners, you can get 24 by 7 support from our team of experts all for less than the cost of one in-house engineer. Save time and money with our DevOps and maintenance service. Find out more at tbot. Find out more at tbot.io/devops. Let's talk about like I'm making the assumption I didn't like dwell too much at the beginning of the episode that people understand what Dungeons and Dragons is, but <laughs> maybe that's too big of an assumption, but in my, it just seems so much more popular now yeah. than it yeah. ever had before. Yeah. So I feel like I can at least say Dungeons and Dragons and people like, even if I don't actually know what it's like to play, I know what it is. Right. Sure. <laughs> but let's uh, maybe at this point, take us a, a little bit of a step back and like Dungeons and Dragons is more popular than it has ever been before. I think that that's really exciting for creators like you because it must feel like there's more opportunity than ever. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that so this actually I think really ties into something that I've been doing a little bit of research on which is I can't say too much at this point, but I'm putting together a a convention 
part of the idea behind this convention was that I'd noticed there's a really big trend towards experience based kind of entertainment in mm-hmm. the like, you know, we love movies, we love going out to bowling, all that kind of stuff, but like real kind of like full immersion based experiences, I think are post lockdown, everyone's like, yes, give me all of that. Like I've been cooped up in a house. I want to be whisked away as far away as possible. <laughs> and so I do think that is part of the reason why Dungeons and Dragons has started to become even organically more and more popular because I just think the idea that instead of, I don't know, uh, just sitting around on a Friday with some friends, like talking or just watching a movie or, or whatever it may be, that you can kind of with your friends go off and like take part in something that feels epic and larger than life and kind of really allows you to abandon for just like a couple of hours some of the strains and pressures on your life. I think, again, post-lockdown, that just feels like such an appetizing thing to be able to do. And I just think with then the general acceptance of nerdiness as mainstream (laughs) culture, people are just a lot more willing to be like, well, if I'm going to watch a movie with a dude who has a suit made entirely of iron and says really corny lines and shoots laser beams out of his chest, I probably could be okay with pretending to be a goblin for half an hour. You know, (laughs) whereas I think before people would have been really like, no, 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 we don't do that. I only watch like I don't know, uh, Kubrick mm. movies or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, like that's their form of entertainment. Yeah, that trend really resonates with me. Like even before the pandemic, like escape rooms and that kind of yes. thing like yeah. were becoming really popular. I mean, yeah. there's escape rooms everywhere now. One of the things that I found out right as I came up, I was coming up with the idea for this convention, I was talking to a buddy of mine. He basically owns like an event space which has a cinema in it and it also has a like a little theater. And he ran over, I think it was last summer, uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy themed kind of experience where you walked around and you got to meet some of the characters and stuff like this. And then next door in the same building, uh, that building, they were showing the Thor Love and Thunder movie. And despite the fact that the experience was like three times as expensive as the Thor Love and Thunder movie at the cinema, that experience sold out like almost instantly. And the Thor Love and Thunder movie was like struggling to get people on the seats. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that like, but I was like, but Thor Love and Thunder is a Guardians film. You know what I mean? Like all of them are there. It's ostensibly a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And yet people are going to see Guardians of the Galaxy experience, which I don't even know if it it was like an official thing you know, rather than seeing the movie of it. So I just think, yeah, yeah, like you said, like this trend towards like escape rooms and and all that kind of stuff is like just really resonated with me that like, I was like, yeah, that's like, if I had to choose, you know, if I Mm -hmm. uh, was in a a privileged position and could afford to go to that thing, I'd be like, yeah, I'd probably go to the God, like the God of the Dynasty experience rather than just, eh, I don't have to watch the film. I could probably get it on Disney plus in like two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever been to a secret cinema in London? Yes, I did a Top Gun Maverick uh, okay. up here in. I went to uh, the Manchester. Star Wars one a uh, few years ago. Nice. I guess How actually it would have been like five years ago. It was amazing. So, for people who don't know, Secret Cinema is you're ostensibly going to see a movie, <laughs> but they build up an entire experience with improv actors, a themed to the movie that you're seeing. And you don't know where it is, it's technically secret. Uh, they'd send you the location of it. You go there and you're whisked away into the world of the movie. Yeah. 
I did a 28 Days Later one. That one was a... <laughs> Horrifying. That, yeah, that one was a little much, honestly. I was like, I love this movie, but like, I don't feel safe sat in this in this cinema, like, because I've just walked through like three fields filled with zombies and I ran for like half of it. So I don't know. I was like, my heart was still racing as I sat down to watch the movie, which I think, you know, in many ways did enhance the experience mm-hmm. because I was sort of looking over my shoulder for half of it. Yeah. And and that, you know, when people who haven't ever actually seen Dungeons and Dragons played before, I often describe it as we're just telling a story together or if maybe if they're a little less intimidated by improv, like because some people are into it's like an improv show where you can basically do anything you want and then yeah. or say what you want to do. And then you roll the dice to see whether it actually happens or not. Yeah. And that's really at the base level. All it, it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think you're right. People are more open to that idea of an experience or a game like that than they ever have been before. Yeah, for sure. There's so many things that you can kind of fall back on if you're not someone who is super comfortable with improvising or, or, or whatever. And I think that's what the game provides is it provides enough structure for you to then just kind of honestly, because you do, you know, uh, you do just for kind of forget that you're doing it really after Mm-hmm. about 10 minutes of like slight awkwardness when you start with a new group because the game provides you with the kind of almost like the fuel right like mm-hmm. you'll be like oh I've, i don't know if i can do this or whatever and it's like okay just go ahead roll me a nat- like a, a, a d20 and then you roll a nat 20 and everyone loses their minds around the table and suddenly you're like okay i'm in this i'm the barbarian and i'm getting angry and i run in there and i kick the door down and you know what i mean and suddenly yeah. you're sat there watching this person who was like super nervous five seconds ago like stood up on their feet screaming at me as the dm telling me you know how they uh eviscerate all these bad guys so yeah it definitely the game provides a really good structure for that with this opportunity you mentioned building this experience for a convention mm, yeah you want to talk more about that? I guess I can talk about it in very broad terms. I just can't go into the specifics of, of when's yeah. and the who's and stuff like that. But uh, ostensibly, the idea was to do a... I, I got really interested by this idea of like reclaiming fantasy. It was kind of like this thing that kept going around in my head. And I was like, I wonder if there's a way that we could see our... as a Again, specifically geared towards minority groups. It's what I know well and a community that I want to continue to serve. And I was like, I wonder if we can create a space space where it's specifically for them explicitly for them mm-hmm. in the sense that i think there are a lot of spaces that are explicitly for non-minority groups you know what i mean right. i think there are a lot of the traditional conventions typically are those things and so but i think we get very afraid of creating something where we people with the purse strings usually go oh no you can't exclude people and i'm like we're not excluding people we're just making it very specifically for someone else and a lot of it was it, it then came from the idea of like seeing the rings of power trailer get released and then the converse, the thing that's trending on Twitter is like, there were no black elves, not yes, we've got a black elf. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I suddenly was like, I really want us to have a space where we can be celebrated in fantasy, etc., without that having to have like caveat it as like seeing it some sort of diversity or whatever. And then anyway, this snowballed through going to things like D&D in a castle and combining it with this idea of reclaiming fantasy of like, what if we did it inside a pl- like a stately home? Uh, or a castle like what if we if we made this event and we really made it that like 
you as a minority are can be there and celebrated in the space where you know you've got like baron what's his name on the wall <laughs> and it's this like white dude from 500 years ago and do you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. i i just really love the idea of like a room full of minorities really feeling like welcomed and like they were a part of this space and just realizing minorities we've been around forever <laughs> you know what i mean there's mm-hmm. never been a point in human history where people with brown skin haven't been here like we've always been here so i guess it was just about really realizing that like you know when we're sat there watching i don't know pirates of the caribbean and there's like two black people in the swamp it's like no 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 no. we would have been everywhere (laughs) do you know what i mean it would have been everywhere and we can be celebrated in these spaces too these don't have to just be white spaces and they don't just have to be uh for a very specific group that they have been traditionally for in the past and yeah, the reaction to the sort of pitch, if you will, was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and good. it took me, it really took me by surprise, actually, because I was sort of thinking, yeah, I'm really sticking it to him with this pitch. <laughs> and then everyone was like, yeah, we love it. And I was like, oh, right. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, sort of doing that. And I had to climb down a little bit and be like, okay, awesome. Let's talk about it. Right. And what I think is really uh, exciting about that is just that I really think that conventions, everything can like, do more in terms of delivering an experience mm-hmm. like myself and my fiance went to um comic con a couple of years ago and i remember like her feeling like oh it was just like a little bit flat and but it, you know it was just sort of i thought that there'd be, there'd be more kind of grandeur to it almost mm-hmm. like there'd be more do you know what I mean? it was just other than like people cosplaying like there wasn't a lot of like theater to mm-hmm. the whole thing it was just like in these massive warehouses and add a little bit of that theater in, have some of those actors, have some of that, the music and the sound and everything, really give people a place to go and explore and enjoy exploring and kind of keep thinking in my head, it's like LARP light, you know what I mean? Yep. It's like LARP, but with the still with the kind of commercial interaction that you can still go and meet, you know, your favorite people, you can still, you know, get signings, you can still get previews of things, you can still buy the things that you've been wanting to buy all year and that you can only get when you go to a certain convention and you know all of the kind of normal convention tropes but really just explicitly labeling it on the bottle this is for minority groups because i honestly think if we explicitly label it like that as well we'll start to get away from a lot of the things that have played conventions for far too long when it comes Uh to making people feel comfortable in those spaces and it's quite often my my biggest tip when it comes to diversity and inclusion with companies as well it's just like put it on the bowl like if you really believe it like have it front and center don't tuck it away in like a dni bit on your website like have it there so that everyone can see it so that everyone that knows when they come to work with you this is what you stand for this is what you believe in you know things like yeah. that so that sounds awesome and it's a really good illustration of the idea, which we've talked about on the show in previous episodes, is that when you are used to being in the majority all the time, and that is the default, mm. when something is being done that's different than that, it feels like you're losing something. It feels like you're mm. under attack. Yes. That's a total yes. natural feeling. So it's like, that sounds like a great experience. I would love to experience that. And I'm being excluded because I'm white. That's not fair. But that's coming from a position of you've been in those safe spaces for yourself in a world that's been entirely tailored for you. So you haven't realized that you've had that all along. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the beauty of it is, and this is where like it's even better for people in the in the majority, which is that we have zero intention of making an unsafe space for anyone mm -hmm. because that mm -hmm. would be wild. So even the spaces that we create for minorities explicitly will still be safe for you as well. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I think, but I think, like you said, it's that, it's that reaction, which I, again, I get it completely because as I mentioned earlier, I was there. I've been there. I've been in a space where I suddenly go, oh, I'm part of the problem. And it feels horrible. Like it's not nice, you know, and it's a really challenging thing, which, you know, you have to be comfortable with. And to be honest, I think everyone should be comfortable with it. Whether you're a minority or not, everyone has blind spots. Mm -hmm. Everyone has biases. It's a huge part of human interaction. And honestly, in a modern world with the way that social media is, I don't think you can live without biases and without assumptions because you see new people thousands of new people like every day if you wanted to just by scrolling on your twitter feed so like mm -hmm. to be in this like zen place of just like i will accept everyone only on their merits and i will not judge anyone it's just like would be impossible and maddening i think so it's a perfectly normal thing to exist with those biases the thing that we have to get better at is going cool I've got those biases. Now it's time to like mm -hmm. let them slide, like to move them over there and to not get defensive if someone calls them out. Like mm -hmm. that's then the trick. That's the magic trick. That's pulling the rabbit out of the hat. That's what you got to get comfortable with. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the conversation and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you get married in less than a week from now. So congratulations in advance. Thank you so much. Thank you. If we could just take a few more minutes at the end to maybe nerd out about the Dungeons and Dragons movie, oh, which please, I know you went to the premiere for and I just yeah, saw yeah. this weekend. It was funny because you I think you said exactly how, how I left the movie feeling, which was they captured like the spirit of what it's mm. actually like. It was just fun. And yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is fun in a way that is not like like Lord of the Rings or which is super serious fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I can't even think of the last time we had a fantasy movie that was like, you know, other than like, I don't know, Your Highness or something that was just like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, whatever that was. You know what I mean? Like it's something that was like a, an actual movie and, and didn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy because you could have easily have seen it like, no, this, you know, we need to do something super serious yeah. and to compete against Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and all, all that stuff. And to feel like, you know, this was made by people who get it and represented uh, what I love was really exciting. Yeah. And I think that what it did for me is I think it lays a groundwork for them to like explore more serious places mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because now they will have that trust that they understand you know, what it's like to be at the table and, and how to do that. And then I think the real this is where the real skill is going to come in for them to create more of these, which is like, you know, that I think is the, is the art of like a really good DM, you know, that, that can have mm -hmm. you absolutely like roaring with laughter one minute and mm -hmm. then sobbing in like, you know, and it's like an hour's difference, you know what right, I mean, between right. the two places. And that's then the next step for these but I think this was absolutely the tone that they needed to strike for this, especially for this first kind of outing. I think they really needed to say, hey, you know, we get it. We understand what it's like. Just displaying purely unhinged like actions and mm -hmm. things like which is which I think that's the bit that feels D&D &D for me is when a character and I think uh, I won't go into any spoilers, but I think you'll probably know the moment I'm describing when a very clear solution is laid out in front of you yes. in big 
green letters, for instance, and you choose to do something truly, truly unhinged and wild because that was what you decided you were going to do ahead of time. Right. It's such a D&D thing yes, to do. It's yeah. such a, like, and I loved that. I, yeah. I, it was one of my favorite moments in the movie and I just thought, like, that perfectly encapsulates the nature of it and the thing that you don't get to see, you know, in a Game of Thrones or whatever because mm-hmm. you don't get the Nat 1s or the Nat 20s, I think, in a Game of Thrones. Everything's like you know, I don't know, yep. 7 to 12. <laughs> you right, know what I mean? Right. Everyone is like relatively skilled. So they can't just like, you know what I mean? You can't have the mountain versus the viper and the mountain just like trips over a rock <laughs> and brains himself on the right, floor. Right. You know what I mean? Because right. that would be a nat one, but that would be ridiculous because the mountain's an incredibly skilled fighter and mm-hmm. therefore it wouldn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found myself grinning throughout the thing, aside from the moments where I was laughing, just like, Oh, that's yes. Like th- just the whole yeah. thing about planning and how he's a yeah. plan. Like, oh, that is yeah, so D and D, and you know, just at the end, the way that that battle lays out, I just feel like it just captures everyone's acting in these six second increments in a D and D battle, and everything's happening all at once. And yes, that's what that battle was like at the end. Yeah, and and also just props for like a really good magic fight, like. <laughs> right. I don't even know what the word is, but we have been convinced for years that like Harry Potter had good magic. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Harry Potter has wand foo and it's terrible. Like yeah. it's just, it's re- it's like, it's not particularly pleasing. It's just like little, it's basically the same as Star Wars. It's just like little laser pistol type. <laughs> That's effectively what Harry Potter becomes. Mm-hmm. And then to see Bigby's hand and like yeah. you know spells like this be used in the ways like it was just so fun and also like also really teaches the importance of flavoring your attacks mm-hmm. and how much life you can bring to a game to anything by just adding that little bit more like you know that little little bit of extra sauce on top you know uh i think holger uh, the barbarian does a perfect job of this in the movie where you know she's always using improvised weapons and the way that she fights it's oh it's very very pleasing to watch and you sort of sat there going yeah man barbarians are so cool but like half the time when you're in a game it would just be like, yeah, I run up and I attack with my axe. It's like, no, give me more. Yeah, give me more. Like, yeah. tell me tell me how and why and stuff like that. So I agree. I think they did a great job. And I was also just grinning from ear to ear during most of it. I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I really <laughs> appreciate it. If folks want to either get in touch with you, we mentioned at the top of the show, you are a, a game master for hire. So, and you do games remotely, right? Yes, I do. I do. I do. Uh, So where are all the places that people can find you, get in touch with you, book you, all that stuff? Heck yeah. If anyone knows about my gymming for hire, it's you. I think you had the, (laughs) you had the, you have a DM for you for in total, like 29 hours. Yeah. So so (laughs) we brought Jasper and we had the ThoughtBot Summit where we got the company together in person. And so Jasper came and he he DM'd two sessions with two different groups for us. Mm which was yep. awesome. And then I went to D&D in a castle, which you mentioned earlier in the show. It's where you go to a castle in the UK, play D&D for 
three and a half days straight, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was an amazing experience and Jasper was an incredible DM. Thank you. And if, if anyone is interested in hiring me as a DM, like I said, I do consultancy, whether it be DNI consultancy or podcasts uh, to help you uh, grow a podcast and things like that, or, or even just get started. Most of that information is on my website, which is jasperwcartwright.com. Uh, you can find me on all social medias. I'm usually pretty good at responding to people in there. And that is just JW underscore Cartwright on all of my social medias. So uh, yeah, go follow me. And uh, I've got a bunch of really exciting stuff coming up. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to follow. Awesome. <laughs> you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode along with a complete transcript at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Mastodon at cpytel at thoughtbot.social. This podcast is brought to you by Thoughtbot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot, your expert strategy, design, development, and product management partner. We bring digital products from idea to success and teach you how because we care. Learn more at ThoughtBot.com.